You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be. And, um, and so... If you, if you find it, um, then go ahead and stand and we'll, be, we'll kind of be all around in 13 and then also the end of 12 and the beginning of 14. Just turn to 13, that'll make it easier. If you're a Bible reader at all, then you know that there are certain uh, passages in the Bible, certain chapters in the Bible that have labels. Uh, for instance, Matthew 5 through 7 would be what? Sermon on the Mount. That's right, the Sermon on the Mount. Hebrews 11 would be the what chapter? The faith chapter, that's right. 1 Corinthians 13 would be what? The love chapter, okay? It's Valentine's Day. Every, you know, that's what you read to your wife romantically on Valentine's Day. The love chapter. Um, no, it's, uh, I'd like to look at this chapter tonight because as I was thinking, um, on Wednesday nights I'd like to preach some on the theme. And I got to thinking, well, how could you preach about love works and not cover the love chapter? And so uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is something that I, it's been on my mind and I want to bring some things here. But I want to start reading in chapter 12, verse 31, and then we'll go through chapter 14, verse 1. So we're basically just going to read chapter 13, but one verse on either side of it to give it some context here. It says in chapter 12, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So that is a big statement. Both in verses 2 and 3, if you do all of that and you don't have charity, you are nothing. If you, don't have, if you do all this but you don't have charity, he says, it profiteth me nothing. I am nothing. Let's continue reading, although we're going to focus just on the first three verses. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these 
is charity. Follow after charity. And desire special gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. And then we'll stop there. But I just want you to see the connection. From the end of chapter 12, a more excellent way. Chapter 13, charity. Chapter 14, follow after charity. And this is a really important context that I want to look at tonight. And we'll ask God for his help as we get into the preaching. Father, we love you and we need you tonight. I need you desperately, you know, Lord. And, and uh, God, I can't do this without you. And, and Lord, I can't, we, we shouldn't want to do anything without your help. And so tonight we come and ask for your help. And I know it's a Wednesday night and it's a Bible study. And yet, God, the preaching of your word deserves our best attention, our best effort, our best energy. And so, God, we pray for your help tonight as we look into your word and we see this thought about love. It is a help. It, is, it will be a help. I really believe that. Um, but God, help your people to be open and awake and, and, and attentive to your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Paul wrote letters to the church at Corinth. We know the first, first and second Corinthians, he wrote both of those books. Um, and much of the time that he was writing to the church at Corinth, it was because it was struggling. It was a, it was a church that was, um, as the kids say, on the struggle bus. It was, it was difficult. And based on what Paul wrote about in, in, the, in these two books, uh, these letters really, their epistles, their letters, um, then we know it was a carnal church. Unfortunately, the church at Corinth was not a spiritual church. And, and because they lacked spirituality, then they dealt with a lot of things that reflected that they lacked spirituality. For instance, they dealt with things like, um, like disunity and immorality and divorce and the right view of marriage and, and personal liberties and how to exercise their worship, how to exercise their gifts and, and many other matters. And this was a church that needed correction. It needed instruction. And things were not going very well. And part of that, of, of, of that was that they allowed their culture to influence the church. They lived in a city that was a very carnal and fleshly city. Corinth celebrated the flesh. And if you know anything about ancient Corinth, then you know Corinth was in ancient Greece and it was a significant port city. Yeah, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of industry. It set the trends and because of its location, it was a commercial port and it was a wealthy city. And so people looked to Corinth um, to, to lead the way in culture and in education, in entertainment and religion. And many times all of those things were combined into one. And so, you know, culture, education, entertainment, religion, and they were putting it all into one basket. It, set the, it also set the, the standard for moral depravity. It was known for its drunkenness. It was known for its sexual wickedness to the point that people who engaged in those kinds of things were actually known as Corinthianizers. Uh, you know, it, it's sometimes it's a good thing if you have something named after you that reflects something positive. But Corinthianizers was not a positive term. Uh, moral corruption was rampant even in their religion. Corinth was, was dedicated then to the goddess of love. Or, and you might, they said love, it's actually the goddess of lust, known as Aphrodite. And there was a temple for heathen worship um, near Corinth where worshipers, you might, I mean, that's a loose term 
um, for worshipers, but worshipers would engage in sexual immorality with temple prostitutes in the name of religion. Their culture celebrated living according to the flesh. Do what feels good, um, no boundaries, um, just do it, okay? Um, sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, live according to the flesh and, and do what feels right. Don't have limits. It's all about you. That sounds very much like our culture. Uh, unfortunately, though, then that mindset affected the people of the church at Corinth. And, and naturally, they were probably, most of them uh, had been saved out of that lifestyle. And yet it wasn't right for them to continue bringing cultural mindsets into their worship, into their church. And, and so they were saved, though, and, and I'm sure they had a desire to do right, but they were, they were spiritually immature, and the culture had influenced them, and they're thinking so much so that Paul has to send, spend significant time in these epistles correcting them and dealing with this serious sin. And so the context, then, of 1 Corinthians is what makes chapter 13 kind of unique to the rest of the book, in my opinion, See, Paul deals with, the, with problem after problem. He goes issue after issue. And he has to confront the Corinthians on their misconduct and, and their immorality and their failures. And he tries to get them to think spiritually, to gain maturity. And so chapter after chapter, he deals with problem and problem and problem, one hard thing after another. And then suddenly, in the middle of, of this confrontational diatribe, okay, it's kind of like a monologue. Um, and everything's negative, but right in the middle of it, there's almost a rabbit trail, okay? And us preachers, we're known for a lot of things, and sometimes we're known for rabbit trails. I mean, all the best of us can, can fall tra tra uh, prey to the rabbit trail. And chapter 13 almost feels like that. It, it's as if Paul stops reasoning with all these carefully worded arguments and these warnings, and all of a sudden... It's like he's writing a hymn on the subject of genuine love. And some call this the greatest passage that Paul ever penned. Now, it's hard for me to overlook Philippians 2 and some other things that Paul wrote. I mean, Paul wrote a lot of incredible passages. Um, this, but this passage, if you think about it, it almost fits more in the, uh, under the category of the Beatitudes. You know, uh, that's what it feels like to me that... Jesus Christ, when he was giving um, his, his discourse on how a child of God should be and what it should look like to follow Jesus Christ, it seems very much to me like 1 Corinthians would fit 13 would fit right there, the Sermon on the Mount. But maybe its setting is what gives it, gives it the impact that it has. It's almost like a single flower in a desert of, of difficult subjects and it's just but but as you read it though you realize it's not just there for aesthetics it's not just there for, so Paul could say listen to my flowery language and I love it when some people pray I love it when when old timers pray sometime and and it's like you could write down their prayer it's just a beautiful prayer and and I can't do it as well as they do it well this is this reminds me of that Paul just just gives us this, uh, this beautiful discourse. Uh, and, and I don't think we realize how important of a role it plays to the entire book. Because the subject of this chapter, if the Corinthians would insert love, genuine 
Bible love into their lives as Christians. And if they would allow love to take root in their hearts, it could eliminate most of the divisions that the church was dealing with. It would take care of so many of the problems that the church at Corinth had. This one simple trait they needed to learn was charity, love. And there are four types of love mentioned in scripture. And many you've heard this before. Um, eros is romantic love. And, and then storge is, is family love. The kind of love that family has for each other. Phileo is brotherly love or friendship kind of love. If you have a friend... Um, it's not romantic, it's not anything like that, but you've got a friend that you just love dearly, that's, philo, that's phileo, and, and that's the, the, uh, the root for which we get what city in our country? Philadelphia. Now, how many of you have been to Philadelphia? And it's, it's so ironically named the city of brotherly love, I'll just say that. It does not feel like the city of brotherly love if you've been there. Agape, though, is number four. Agape is divine love. It's the kind of love, the word charity found here over and over in chapter 13 is agape love. It's agapeo or agape in every time, divine love. It's God's love. It's the highest form of love found in scripture. And it means a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. That's what it's talking about. It's the kind of love that is mentioned in John 3.16, by the way, when it says, for God so loved the world for God so agaped the world he so unconditionally divinely sacrificially selflessly loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for a wicked world that's the kind of love that this charity word in chapter 13 that's what it's talking about this is the kind of love that's not just a fuzzy feeling and our world misunderstands love, don't they? I mean, they say you're going to fall in love or you're going to make love. That's not Bible love. It's not some emotional feeling that you get when you first see somebody at the bar in a country song. I mean, it's used that way, isn't it? Love at first sight? Yeah, that's not love. That's not Bible love. And it's not that it's, it doesn't... Uh, it's not the term that's used often, make love in a physical sense. That's not the Bible word for love. And so the, the culture has hijacked a lot of our words. It's hijacked things like the rainbow, which is, should be a symbol of God's faithfulness to his word and his promises. And it's been hijacked too. And, and it just makes me sick every time I think that somebody has taken something that represents God and done it to represent, use it to represent a lifestyle that's exactly opposite of what he says we should do. So he is, so the culture's hijacked words. It's hijacked our word for love. But, but understand, it's not just a feeling. See, this word for love implies action. This word for love, God so loved the world that he gave, there was action. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13... It's action after action. It's charity. Charity is love and action. Charity is love that works. It's love at work. Not just feelings, works. And Paul knows if the Corinthians would practice this kind of love, love that works, that he's having to, then, then all of the things that he's having to address, 
the issue after issue and issue after issue would be fixed if the church at Corinth would say, we have divine love. We treat each other with divine love. We act with divine love. You know, love is so often a forgotten Christian virtue, but we can't lose sight of its importance. What did Christ say was the greatest commandment? When that lawyer came to him in Matthew 22 and asked, Master, which is the great commandment, great commandment in the law? What did Jesus say? Did he say, thou shalt go to church? No, what did he say? Thou shalt what? Love. And who did he say you should love first? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind. And then the second is this. Thou shalt be judgy. That's what Christians do. No, not at all. He said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So the very first thing that Jesus Christ said that we should do as followers of him is love. I mean, our whole theme is predicated on John 13, 34, and 35, which is where Jesus, right after he washed the disciples' feet, he says, hereby, with this same kind of love, you're going to love each other and the world will know that you're my disciples. Love is where it starts for the Christian. This is where, this is the foundation. It's, it comes first. Love works. Paul essentially then echoes Christ's words here in Matthew 22. He's echoing the words here in 1 Corinthians 13 by telling the Corinthians they need a lesson in charity. A lesson in love in action. Love that works. Because remember, they live in a society that's all about what feels good to you and what you can get out of others and how life can do be better for you. Well, your life is not about you is what he's saying. And Paul is telling them and an injection of charity or genuine love is in order. So, and when you start to then dig into the context of the book, what comes before the, the chapter and what comes after the chapter, and then you understand the circumstances that Paul is dealing with, then it, trying to get the Corinthians to apply this truth to all of these situations, it, this, it becomes more than a thing of beauty. See, I mean, I know some people love to go, go to art galleries, okay? How many of you love to go to art galleries, okay? Yeah, and you just enjoy it. And, and I try, and like Brother Keith, I know that he's a painter and he's an artist and he loves that stuff. I, I'm not a painter, so I don't appreciate it very much. I mean, I see it, I like it, but after about 30 minutes, you know, at first I'm like, oh, that's really nice. After 30 minutes, I get, yeah, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice, that's cool, that's great. Okay, where's, this, where's the concession stand, you know? I just don't appreciate it like I ought to. You know, some people do. Well, you know, this, this chapter, some people think, oh, it's beautiful. Have you seen, like, you know, some people put the signs on their houses and inside their houses and they take a verse of scripture and they put it up there, a passage. Very often it's this chapter. Love and love and love and it's beautiful. But understand that this is more than just a fine piece of art. This is something that Paul, it's a discourse not just to be admired, it is a truth to be obeyed. And Paul knew that if, if a church would get past just talking about love and start to implement love in their daily lives, it would revolutionize the unity of that local church. See, chapter 13 is the bridge between chapter 12 and 14, and these three chapters are dealing with the subject of spiritual gifts. And so uh, in chapter 12, Paul writes about 
how you deal with your gifts. When God gives you spiritual gifts and talents, and he gives those to each member of the body. And then in chapter 14, Paul instructs them on the proper exercise of those gifts. This is what you have, and this is how you do it. This is how not to do it. And right in the middle, in chapter 13, he gives the proper motive or the proper energy for those gifts from which the gifts operate. Uh, But let's look at a few things in chapter 12 just to understand this. Look back at chapter 12, verse 7. The church at Corinth was not without spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit had gifted them. You ever met somebody who you would say, man, that's a five-talent player. You know, they, they have, in baseball, they have five-tool baseball players. And they can do all of it at once. And you know, some people, they can do all of it. They're five-talent people. And then there's some of us, you know, just one-talent people. Some of us, two-talent people. And then there's some, they've got all the talents. Well, the Church of Corinth had lots of talent. It had lots of ability. They were not without spiritual gifts. Look at chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But by the way, and we'll talk about this a little bit... Some of these gifts, according to the next chapter, what we just read, some of these gifts were signs at that time. And the Bible says once the revelation of God's word is complete, then these gifts are done away with. And so we have to under that's that's something to understand. Not all of these gifts are still present. And that's why if you read chapter 12 and 13, it's a pretty easy conclusion to come to. Although there are, there's lots of confusion, there's a lot, there are a lot of different opinions about it, but that's as Bible believers and Bible readers, and we take the context of chapter 12 and 13, that's what we believe as, as biblical Bible uh, Baptists. Uh, verse 11, but all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And he goes on, and he's talking about gifts. Now the church at Corinth had these talents. The church at Corinth had, Corinth had these gifts. They had ability, but in their giftedness, they weren't spiritual. And that's a problem. The the church environment had become a talent show. You know, we do that at Bible school sometimes. All right, who has a talent? Come up here. And some kid will do something that makes everybody, grosses everybody out, or ooh, everybody. You know, but that's not what church is about. Church is not not the setting to say, look what I can do. And yet there are churches, the Church of Corinth was doing this. It had become a place for everybody to put their gifts on display. And the cultural mindset of of the city of Corinth had crept into the worship setting. Remember, their culture emphasized the flesh. They made it all about the individual. And, And our culture does the same thing, by the way. You know, it's like the American Idol thing. Everyone wants to show everybody how good they are. And their mom and dad should have told them they're not. You know, church isn't supposed to be a competition about who can do the most or who can do the best. So beginning in chapter 12, verse 4, and through the rest of the chapter, then Paul emphasizes how the church is an organism. It's a living body. It's the body of Christ. And it's made up of many members, yet it is one body, just like our physical bodies. And so a foot is not in competition with the hand. 
They do two separate things. There's no reason for those two to be competing because the foot walks and the hand reaches out and grabs things. And, and so the, the, uh, the emphasis then of the chapter is that God frames the body and he chooses the responsibility of each individual member and the members are to function according to their ability and not to seek preeminence over everybody else. So each part functions for the benefit of the whole. The Corinthians weren't without gifts. But according to chapter 12, verse 1, he, they were ignorant of how to use them. Look what he says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. He just comes right out and says it. You're ignorant. And I don't want you to be ignorant. You have gifts and you're u- trying to use them, but you're not using them in a way that functions for the good of the body or that functions for the glory of God. So notice, though, the last verse of chapter 12. We read it. Paul says this. But covet earnestly the best, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I've shown to you a more excellent way. He says you can keep trying to have the best gifts. You can keep trying to show how good you are at something and to reveal your talent in the service. You can keep trying to do that, but I want to show you a better way. I want to show you a way that will keep you from making it all about you. Here's a more excellent way. He says, are you ready? Well, actually, I don't want to get ahead of myself. They were pursuing the showy gifts. But the spirit that Paul teaches in this chapter is that we have a place in our body, in the church. And we should be content with our roles. So, so he continues then in verse 31. So I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Now let's pretend that chapter, 14, chapter 13 doesn't exist. Okay, so let's try that. But this is chapter 12, verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you unto you a more excellent way. Chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity. Do you see the context here? See, he could have said, I show you a more excellent way, follow after charity. It's almost like chapter 13 is an entire parenthesis. It's just, it's just this, here's how to explain charity. Paul could have just said, Uh, here's a more excellent way follow after charity and gone to chapter 14 verse 1 and and just kept moving on but listen because Paul desperately wanted them to understand the importance of love he stops and explains what it looks like you see it'd be one thing if he said let me show you unto you a more excellent way follow after charity and they're like okay that sounds good but after spending a whole chapter telling them what love looks like then the force of the command, follow after charity, is a lot more important now. Once you understand, it's like if you get a job and your job is, okay, every hour you have to pull this lever. You're like, okay, I'll do that. But then your boss goes on to explain to you, if you don't pull this lever every hour, then that dam over there will will overheat and things will fall apart and it'll flood and it'll break and it'll wipe out a whole city. You're like, oh, okay, I better, this is a little bit more important than I thought. You understand, that's what Paul is doing. He could have just said follow after charity, but in order to increase the force of the commandment, he says, let me explain to you what charity is first. Now, okay, now follow after charity. Here's the more excellent way that I'm showing unto you. Here's what it looks like. Here's the difference it can make. Now do that. See, if you have genuine love for somebody else, it's going to affect every part of your church. 
And if a church is full of charity toward everybody, toward each other, I'm talking selfless, sacrificial, love that works, then when it comes to gifts, there's no being envious of someone else's gift instead of being content with your own because you have charity. And there's no caste system when the ones with the showy gifts look down on the ones that are cleaning the bathrooms because everybody has a place and everybody has a role. And if you have love, you don't look at yourself and say, man, look what I can do. Love changes the way that you treat your gifts. If I have genuine love, I'll use my spiritual gifts to benefit the whole body, not to bring attention to myself, because agape changes everything. It is the more excellent way. And the church at Corinth was, had a lot going on, and they had lots of gifts. They were active, but without genuine love, even something that seems proper, like using your spiritual gifts, becomes tainted by the flesh. And if you don't have love, then you can do something as spiritual as using your gifts at church. You can make it all about you. Their gifts were being put to use, but they were under the control of the flesh, not the spirit. Listen, gifts are great, but when there's conflict and pride and jealousy, then they are rendered useless. There's a more excellent way, folks, and that is to operate as a body with genuine love. See, here's why charity, love that works, is the more excellent way. See, here's, here's the point I want to make tonight. And this isn't the only point from this chapter that we'll make. Eventually, then we'll look at the rest of this. But here's, here's the connection here today. Is that love, I'm going to play on the title here. Love gives meaning to our works. Love gives meaning to our works. See, according to Galatians chapter 5, uh, 22, it gets, does anybody know that passage talks about what? The fruits of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5, what's the first one mentioned? The fruits of the Spirit are these what? It's love. So, so the presence or absence of love is an indicator of our spirituality. And the Corinthians were active. And they used their gifts. But their lack of love proved they weren't spiritual. See, listen, you can have all the gifts you want, but if you don't have love, then the Bible, according to Galatians 5, says that you can't be spiritual. See, Paul gives then examples of potentially profitable gifts that convey activity, but they are nothing without love. Look at verse 1. He says, verse, chapter 13, 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and of angels, and have not charity, I have become a sounding brass, or a tinkling symbol. And so what Paul is saying is Paul if he exercised the gift of tongues, which by the way, the gift of tongues in the Bible is languages. Understandable languages. And so the way that then it's been used in in, in modern church today and certain religions and churches is it's gibberish, but every time the language is spoken in scripture that's a valid language, there's an interpreter. It's a valid language, okay? So Paul says, so if Paul exercises the gift of tongues or languages and he does it without love, it's just sound. So if one of the Corinthians had been gifted with the gift of other languages or tongues, but they did it without charity, you know what Paul says? Then you're just making noise. He says in chapter 2 and verse 2 verse, and, and the first part, and though I have the gift of prophecy 
he says. If, if Paul, and, and he says, oh, the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If Paul waxed eloquent in, in prophecy and in mysteries and in knowledge and he opened the scripture and he helped them to see things that they didn't know before and he's helping them so that all people praised him and he did it without love, he says, I am nothing. So if a person has a great gift to teach or preach, and this is sobering, by the way. I mean, I, I preach just about every week here at Eastside and sometimes multiple times a week, often multiple times, and I, at times I'll teach and, and we've got teachers in the room. We've got Sandy and Chad over here and other teachers and you're teaching in other places and, and, and some of the children, some of the adults and teaching in the nursery. There's teaching going on back there. I'm, I'm not sure. Those are the teachers that deserve the biggest medals, by the way. But if you stand up and you teach and you give information and it sounds good and it sounds flowery and people say, wow, that guy can teach or wow, she really can give information. She really helps me to see uh, that, that text and that passage. But Paul says, if you do that without love, then you're nothing. Aren't my, those aren't my words. I'm not, I'm not telling you you're nothing. I'm not up here to hurt your self-esteem. I'm giving you Paul's words tonight. If a person has a great gift to teach or a great gift to preach and they only do it to display their gift, man might say, wow, there's something, but God say that's nothing. Yeah. The end of verse 2, he says, if I have all this, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, he says. I mean, if, if, you, if you have enough faith to move a mountain, people are going to come and they're going to be like, hey, can you fix my car? They're going to come and they're going to be impressed. Moving him out, and that's a pretty big deal. Paul says, if you have faith like that, I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, he's talking about things that are hyperbole. I mean, he's throwing this way out there. They say, wow, what faith they have. But if you do that without charity, it would mean nothing. Verse 3, he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. If Paul gave and gave and gave and even gave the ultimate sacrifice and had no love, he says it profits nothing. See, it's possible to be a big giver. And we have givers at Eastside, and I'm thankful. Trust me, I mean, it's a blessing to have people that give. And I truly believe that's a gift that God gives people, a gift of grace that you give and you meet needs and you're able to do that. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful for that. There are those that help in giving and those that help and they're just helpers or whatever you need. They're just there. But we can learn from the Sermon on the Mount that giving to be seen of men is of no lasting profit to the giver. It means you've already had your reward. It's nothing without love. So what does this truth say to us? Well, we're an active church. I mean, if you look at the sign-up sheets back there. I mean, if, if a church you know, could, could, could uh, say, look how awesome we are. Based on the sign-up sheet table? Like, we're top of the line right now. There's all kinds of stuff to sign up on. But being an act, I mean, and I'm thankful, though. I mean, we've got gifts and talents, and we're putting our gifts and talents into, on display, and we're active. I'm thankful for, for the church planning conference. I'm thankful for the orchestra. Did you see the orchestra tonight? I mean, Colin up there with that big thing he's blowing on. I mean, that was pretty impressive. I mean, it's, I mean, he could like drive over here in that thing. It, it's a tuba, right? Is that what it is? 
It's awesome. I mean, I love to see it full over here. God's growing ministries at Eastside, and people are involved. And I, I'm, man, I'm just grateful. I'm the baptistry on Sunday, and good to have the Marples here tonight. What a, what a blessing. What an encouragement. Carl's here tonight. I mean, these guys, these folks got baptized on, on Sunday, and we've got more waiting in line, and that's a blessing. It's amazing. And we've got music, and we've got teaching, and we've got greeting and outreach, and cleaning and we got the rocks in the garden and trustees doing things in the nursery god bless them i mean all this stuff going on and missions revival will be coming up in a little over a month and and we got vbs and had all kinds of people helping and but listen activity doesn't in indicate that you're spiritual the best evidence of being led by the spirit according to galatians chapter 5 verse 22 is love the presence of love no, let me say this. The presence of gifts is it, it indicates or is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Write this down if you need to. The presence of gifts is evidence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of love is evidence that the Spirit's in control. The presence of gifts, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, these are gifts by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. The presence of gifts is evidence of the Holy Spirit. But the presence of love is evidence that the Spirit is in control. And I'm telling you, so on one hand, we could be a church with the presence of gifts. All kinds of gifts. All kinds of stuff going on. But I'm not sure. I, just think, think about this. I was thinking about this this week. Which word of our theme do we want to be defined by? Which word of our theme do we want to say that's what Eastside is? Because the church at Corinth, if they're looking up at the theme, I think that we would say the church at Corinth would be defined by word number two. Works. Gifts. They're doing stuff. People speaking in other languages and tongues and and they got all this prophecy and all this stuff going on. It's works, 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 works. But just let me remind you what Galatians 5 says is the word that should come first. It's always love. See, love should be the motivator of our works. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid, and I'm not saying I'm afraid of that for Eastside because I see it. I'm afraid of this for Eastside because we're active. It's easy in an active church to bypass word number one and amplify word number two. And now suddenly, rather than displaying the characteristic that Jesus Christ said sets us apart as his disciples, we're, we're displaying the characteristic that Paul got all over the church at Corinth about. Because we're exercising our gifts, our works, but love is not involved. Listen, anybody can do works. But according to our theme, the chapter, Jesus said that love is what sets us apart. Christ followers are the ones, the only ones, who love like he loves. That is our primary distinction. So here are some conclusions we can make, and we're, we'll wrap this up. Without love, our works are just works. Without love... Listen, without love, our works are just works. And really, there's no difference between us and some church somewhere else that, that have wrong doctrine, but they're still doing stuff. What's the difference? 
So who wants to go, listen, who wants to go through life? And I'll ask you, you can raise your hand if you want. Who wants to go through life to realize at the end that nothing you did mattered? Nobody? I didn't think so. You want to live your whole life at the end of your life realizing that everything you did was kind of a waste? Not me. I mean, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it and do it in such a way that it matters. Apply that to your service for God. Who wants to stand before God and at the end of his life realize everything that you did for him was canceled out? See, it's like, it'd be like building a house. I remember when we built our house, I remember the day we moved in and it should have been a day of celebration, but it was a day of stress. But I was so thankful when we finally moved into our house. Can, we, can you imagine if you build a house and you're driving up to the house and as you, a, a mile away, you see smoke in the sky. Like, oh, I wonder what's going on. So you, you drive a little closer, the smoke gets bigger, now you're starting to see flames. And you turn down your street to go to your house and your house that you just built and you're going, you, like your stuff is in your car to move in. And it's on fire. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, after months of house building and only to realize that everything you just did for all those months is a waste. Can you imagine? Well, that would be awful. Well, so much the more the living 70, 80, 90 years on earth and doing lots of works and by realizing that at the end you bypass the word that matters the most. Love. Because according to Paul, if love isn't involved in your works, then your works have no meaning. Those are Paul's words, not mine. That's the conclusion number one. Conclusion number two is this. God's more concerned that we're spiritual than he is that we're talented. You know, God is more interested in us being spiritual than us being talented. Listen, we've got some people with real talent here. And I'm thankful for that. But would you do this? Would you say, yes, I have gifts and I have abilities but right now I'm making a pledge to the Lord that I will not use those without God's help. That I will not go about my works without the motivator of their energy of love. See, God's more concerned with your spiritual life than he is your talent. You know, honestly, uh, people that are spiritual accomplish a lot more for the Lord than people that are talented. But can you imagine, though, what if the talented people would also be spiritual... Can you imagine what they could accomplish? See, that's the issue, though. A lot of times people are talented, and because they're talented, they bypass the spiritual part and say, I can do this, I can do this on my own. But honestly, that, then that's, that's putting us in a position that God can't be pleased with. So those are the first two conclusions. Is Number one, without love, our works are just works. They're, they're without meaning. Number two, God is more concerned that we're spiritual than he is that we're talented. And number three, God is more interested in our motives than he is our actions. Now, can, you can answer this. Is God interested in our actions? Yeah, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, then, then yes, it's listed. It's full of action. It's full of works. Jesus Christ is interested in your works. But you know what he's more interested in? He's interested in why you do the works. He's interested in your motive and your energy and the reason behind the works that you're doing. And if you wonder about that, read Matthew 6 and find out Jesus Christ, uh, his viewpoint of those that give and pray to be seen of men. And he says, if you do it to be seen of men, 
you have your reward. It's not something I'm pleased with. Listen, love is the more excellent way. And it's the more excellent way because only when we operate on a spiritual level of love do we get to enjoy activity that matters in the end. And so I, I'm going to plan to finish this chapter at some point, give you a couple more reasons that love is the more excellent way. But for tonight, I just want to leave you with this thought. Love gives meaning to our works. And without love, our works are just works, which will make them less effective and it will give us less to be rewarded for. I want you to think about the theme tonight. And I want you just to look at the banner and I want you to put yourself in under the, one of those two categories. Which one of those categories have you been most invested in? Which category? Because if it's been love and your love is driving your works, then you're doing well. And I happen to believe there are people just like that. I'm thankful. But I also know when you're busy and you're active and, you're, and a lot is required of you, that it's pretty easy to bypass word number one and just latch on to word, word number two. And then before long, you could spend years actually living under word number two and realize that, not realize that, like Paul said, that if you do that and you don't have love, all the stuff you're doing is canceled. Let's not be that kind of church. Love works, but love comes first. Love gives meaning to our works. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And we'll have an opportunity to respond tonight. I want to encourage you to to consider yourself with the theme tonight. And I, want you, I just want you to ask yourself, have I, have I bypassed word number one and been so focused on word number two that I've, that, I, that I've kind of been profiting nothing? I don't want my life at the end to come down to it and realize that it's all canceled because I did it wrong or that I did it for the wrong reasons. Church, I think we are a church that loves and I'm so thankful for it. It's a blessing. But I also know that an active church is inclined to bypass the love part and just jump to the works part without even realizing it. Let's not be the kind of church that misses the reasons that we do why, what we do. Let's make sure that we are loving, that our motive is love, not just for others, but for God. And that's the reason we do everything that we do. Love gives meaning to our works. Father, we need your help tonight. Pray that you bless it, that you'd use it tonight to make a difference in our church, in our lives, God. I know it's a Wednesday, but you can, make, you can do work on Wednesdays, and you can change lives on Wednesdays, and you can help us to recalibrate, even on a Wednesday, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to be responsive. I know people are tired and... And yet, I, I want to make sure that we give you a proper time to work in our lives about this need. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.